agency, DEQ, will be making a decision on whether or not to approve these rules after they're revised after the comment period um, in November or December. But Governor Kate Brown's executive order definitely directed the state agency to start developing a climate protection program. And uh, we think that her uh, her office should be speaking out about these rules because right now they currently don't reach the mandate of the executive order. Um, they are uh, far below it in, in the climate reduction goals and then also just how many exemptions exist in the program. So we really think that Governor Kate Brown's office should be uh, working as hard as possible to uh, adapt these rules, to become stronger, to reduce more pollution, and also um, create more benefits for uh, environmental justice communities who are on the front lines of climate change and polluting industries. And I would just add that the, the Environmental Quality Commission um, members who will be voting on this are appointees of the governor. So she obviously could have a lot of influence. And Governor Brown has put out this executive order, has put Oregon forward as a climate leader. Uh, she had a recent New York Times article asking Congress for climate action and noting the activities um, and the progress that Oregon has made. And we think that um, her voice actually creating actions that will that will back up the commitments that she's made are really critical um, because we have to have laws on the books that will actually limit pollution uh, at the levels that she has indicated Oregon is committed to. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Anything we didn't get to cover? One thing I would say is that I, I think a lot of a lot of us, probably a lot of your your listeners, I know that as a parent I have a lot of climate anxiety and it is easy to feel disconnected and disempowered. Uh, this is a situation where people can raise their voices, can ask for specific outcomes and really have an impact. This is a chance to take real action uh, that will affect the climate and our ability to address it. So I feel really empowered every day knowing that there's things that I can do and actions that I can take um, that I'll be able to tell my kids that here's what I was doing. Um, so I just really encourage uh, all of your listeners to take that opportunity um, and raise their voices on this. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate you both taking the time. That was my conversation with Allie Rosenbluth, the campaigns director at Rogue Climate, and Erica Morehouse, senior attorney with the Environmental Defense Fund. Find links related to this story on our website, kbu.fm. This has been KBU News In-Depth. I'm Althea Billings. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for COVID Noise Filter.
name is Dr. Mark Allen-Derry, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Just as a reminder that COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus do share the same risk factors. Hi, my name is Doc Griggs, and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health literacy and communications expert, that's me, talk about what you need to know about COVID-19. You can find more information about this show and our other daily live updates and Q&A show at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. Monoclonal antibody treatments. The FDA's approval last year for the emergency use of monoclonal antibodies to help treat coronavirus has been largely overlooked amidst the mass vaccination rollout and other preventative measures. However, the White House COVID-19 response team has reported that over half a million people have received the treatment since November of 2020, with this number continuing to rise. So what are monoclonal antibodies? These antibodies are lab-made proteins that mimic the body's immune response to fight off threats such as COVID-19. As the body can take time to mount its own immune response and the production of antibodies, this treatment can speed up the body's ability to fight infection while the immune system is mounting its natural response to the virus. This means that it's best to receive the treatment as soon as possible after showing symptoms and testing positive for COVID-19. The treatment can prevent severe disease if taken within 7 to 10 days of symptoms beginning, helping to reduce hospitalizations. Monoclonal antibody treatments are only available to people age 12 and over who are not severely ill, hospitalized, or on supplemental oxygen. And both vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals can receive the treatment. The FDA has approved it as a preventative treatment for those who have been exposed to the virus and are at higher risk for complications. And in late July, this has also applied to high-risk environments such as nursing homes and prisons. Florida has begun rolling out mobile units to administer the treatment to COVID-19 patients as cases continue to spike in the state. However, administering the treatment faces logistical issues as its delivery can be complicated and costly for medical facilities, in addition to the general difficulties created by the pandemic in providing any kind of care. The treatment requires intravenous infusion, and that can take up to an hour to drip the medicine into the patient, or four injections for the Regeneron treatment can also be used. Medical personnel must stay with the patient another hour to ensure that they do not have any serious reactions, which many private healthcare professionals do not have the capacity to facilitate. In fact, Dr. Anthony Fauci has stated that monoclonal antibody treatments are much underutilized, citing that research indicates that they can reduce the risk of hospitalizations between 70 to 85%, while some health officials believe that other measures should be prioritized, such as masking vaccination to help prevent the disease in the first place. Helping to treat people who face the infection is essential to beating the pandemic and saving as many lives as possible. And on a personal note, let me just say that of all the things that I have seen with respect to COVID and treating COVID, aside from dexamethasone, which is a steroid we give to people who have COVID, I'm telling you these monoclonal antibodies work amazingly well amazingly well. So if you've been exposed to COVID or you yourself have COVID and before you progress to getting severe COVID symptoms, go out, go to your local ER and figure out how you can get those monoclonal antibodies 
And Florida is doing a great job rolling them out. They're pretty much everywhere, my understanding is, which is good because uh, so is COVID. Oxford scientists begin plague vaccine trial. Researchers from the University of Oxford's vaccine group, some of whom were part of the team that created the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, have launched phase one of their trial to test a new vaccine designed to protect against the plague. Although for many it has been eliminated, and most people associate the plague with the outbreak of the Black Death in Europe in the 14th century, Cases still occur in rural parts of America, Asia, and Africa. In 2017, an outbreak in Madagascar killed 171 people. 40 healthy adults aged between 18 and 55 will receive this new vaccine designed by the Oxford Group to assess its side effects and determine how well it induces protective antibody and T-cell responses. Although antibiotics can be used to treat plague, a vaccine would be much more useful as many plague outbreak locations are extremely remote, and this could become a key part of disease prevention strategy. Using a similar base to the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, this plague vaccine uses a weakened version of a common cold virus known as adenovirus from chimpanzees, which has been genetically altered so that it cannot cause an infection in people. The vaccine cannot cause plague as it does not contain the plague bacterium, but it does include genes that can make proteins from the plague bacterium, teaching the body how to fight off the real infection if it ever comes into contact with the disease. The director of the Oxford Vaccine Group, Professor Sir Andrew Pollard, stated, The coronavirus pandemic has shown the importance of vaccines to defend populations from the threat caused by bacteria and viruses. Plague threatened the world in several horrific waves over the past millennia. And even today, outbreaks continue to disrupt communities. A new vaccine to prevent plague is important for them and for our health security. The Oxford Vaccine Group are already doing clinical trials using similar technology against meningitis and Zika and hope that they can develop vaccines against new and emerging diseases such as loss of fever or the Marburg virus. Developing vaccines to protect people from these deadly illnesses will be a key consideration going forth from the pandemic. FDA approval takes time. The FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine for people 16 and older in late August. The organization has been considering the vaccine for full approval since May. While there have been some complaints that the timeline was too short, many had hoped that approval would come sooner in order to reduce vaccine hesitancy and ease mandates at colleges alone. According to The Atlantic, however, there are a few reasons that the FDA really did have to take this long. So let's go over those. It can be easy to assume that the FDA has more than enough time to make a call early on. 
After all, millions in the U.S. have received the shot, and the organization had already reviewed a lot of initial data. But while early publicly available data has been examined fairly closely, the FDA also had access to much more data that they had to examine first. This is to check out for side effects that may not go as noticeable even in such a large sample size. On top of that, the FDA also is tasked with quality control for the vaccines. That means that in addition to checking for reactions and risks, the organization has to make sure that the vaccines are manufactured to ensure that every dose is exactly the same. That was especially important for Pfizer, where the first manufacturing attempt was regarded as a failure. So in closing, while the waiting game for approval is frustrating for many, it is important to remember that these measures are in place to ensure safety and have already been greatly expedited. The FDA is expected to reach a decision regarding the Moderna and Johnson & Johnson vaccines within the year. Just as a reminder that COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus do share the same risk factors. Doc Griggs, Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. Dr. Derry and I have a daily show at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time where we go into more detail on stories and answer your questions about COVID-19. You can find Doc Griggs at DocGriggs1 on social media, and you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at D-R-D-E-R-Y. You can follow us at Noise Filter on Instagram, Noise Filter NOLA on Twitter, and for more information about us and the show, you can go to noisefiltershow.com. Hey, Doc Griggs, any last words? Remember, get checked, get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc, protect yourself and others by staying home and please wear masks when you go outside. Remember, health is a human right.
are listening to KBOO Portland. Did you know that KBOO podcasts all our news and talk shows? You can find the podcast on KBOO's website, kboo.fm, on Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Just search for your favorite show and hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes downloaded to your favorite device. Or search for KBOO on iTunes and Google Play to get all the KBOO podcasts. to KBOO Portland. Our fall membership drive is happening right now. During this drive, we're featuring content that examines democracy. Join us as programmers...